Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. If you love the games, we are the show for you. Each week we share stories from athletes and people behind the scenes to help you have more fun watching the games. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello, how are you? Got my bangs curled, got my scrunchie, and I am chalked up and ready to go. (laughs) How sparkly is your leotard? It is so sparkly that we would blind the listeners if we were video. <laughs> I am Swarovski crystalled from shoulder to hip. Excellent. We are taking a little spring break, which means we have some great lightning rounds for you. And this time it's going to be gymnastics forward, as we would like to say. First up, we're talking with Gordon Leary and Julia Meinwald, creators of the musical The Magnificent Seven, which is a musical about the Atlanta 1996 women's gymnastics competition. Let's see what some non-athletes have to say about the Olympics. Take a listen. Lightning round. What is your first memory or awareness of the Olympics from when you were kids? I remember being a big Christy Yamaguchi fan in the ice skating world. Gosh. I remember the 92 games and I remember Kim Zemeskel. And again, this is shows my being a normal, but I mostly remember being kind of mystified by their bangs <laughs> in 92 and in 96. <laughs> We who live mystified and impressed. Yeah, we who live through that are still mystified by our bad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 1996. What do you think of the mascot, Izzy? I think I have to do. A, I have to plead the fifth. I don't. I can't call Izzy into my mind. I remember being so jealous that my neighbor Betsy and her family went down to Atlanta and she came back with, I think it was a backpack that had the mascot on it or maybe, or maybe it was a stuffed animal, but I just remember the like intense jealousy that Betsy got to go and I did not. (laughs) So that's what the image calls to mind. If you could be an Olympian in any sport, what would it be? Talent notwithstanding. I've always really had a thing for Chelsea Nemel. I remember just absolutely loving watching her compete. And now I feel like of, I'm I'm not super in any social media, but I see her posting all these routines and always with such a spirit of, just thought I'd give this a try. This sort of amazing, graceful casualness with which she tries these absolutely amazing things. I always really enjoy watching her. I think for me, it's a tie. I mean, if we're talking Olympic heroes, mine is Surya Bonali, just forever. My favorite. I love, I love a renegade. But I think it's complicated by my fear of heights. But I do think that diving is just the coolest thing. <laughs> what was the first Broadway show you ever saw? 
I think for me, it was Lim is Rabla. I was so into it. I saw it when I was maybe nine years old, and then I promptly asked my parents to get me the book, and I was reading it feeling so literary, and I would listen to the soundtrack every night, and I grew my hair to have that, the swish of bangs like on the poster. <laughs> Mine was much later. As a Clevelander, I didn't get to New York until maybe 1998, and I saw Bring It to Noise, Bring It to Funk, which is an amazing, amazing, like, tap poetry show um, with Saving Glover. And and it's a very non-traditional first Broadway musical, but it was the thing that looked best on TDF. See, <laughs> now we know why they work together, because they both have a bang fascination. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first show you saw after the theaters reopened? For me, it was Caroline with Change, the revival, which was amazing. I actually, my husband and I went to the first preview of Passover, which was the first play to to reopen last August. Mm-hmm. We made a night of it, a celebratory night. And finally, do you have any mm-hmm. Olympic souvenirs? It's funny. We actually just ordered as gifts for our for our team on this show a lot of vintage Olympic pins. So we have a couple of those little things. And I'm trying to think, Gordon, do you still have windbreakers from back in the day? Uh, I think I have one. We did, for a concert once, I did just a, like, eBay scouring for red, white, and blue track jackets. Um, And I think one of them is official. Um, I also found an Atlanta, a 96 Atlanta, like, hand fan, which is pretty fun. And then we all, we have the good old enamel pins, which are easier to wear than the hand fan. (laughs) (laughs) but much less dramatic. Exactly. <laughs> Alrighty. Excellent. Well, thank you, Gordon and Julia. Find out more about the duo at gordonandjulia.com or on Insta. They are Gordon and Julia musicals. And also the Magnificent Seven is playing at the Flint Repertory Theater in Flint, Michigan through April 16th. And next up, we have gymnastics choreographer, Nicole Langevin. Take a listen. Lightning round. What is your first memory of the Olympics when you were a kid? It's not lightning, obviously. Um, 92, still. I knew about Mary Lorette and I knew about Nadia. I had seen things of it, but 92. That was that was the first one. And it was the showdown between Kim Zemeskel and Shannon Miller. What about that particular? I mean, obviously you were the right age. Yeah. And you were you were a Shannon girl? I was. I I mean, Kim's Mask is amazing too, but she was the she was always like just behind Kim, and so the world was like Kim's Mask, Kim's Mask, and I was like, I think she's really good though. Shannon's really, really good. And uh, my best friend at the time, Andrea, we both like loved Shannon Miller. We thought she was just uh, well, she is amazing. And then at Olympic trials, Shannon beat her, and it was like, huh. And then they went to the Olympics, and Shannon Miller just had the week of her life, and it was just really, really cool to see somebody that wasn't touted from the media as being the it girl just do her thing and, and do as well as she did. She should have won, but that's another story. So did you also wear scrunchies? I did the exact hairstyle as her as long as I could. The tucked <laughs> under braid with the scrunchie. Yes. Not as big of a scrunchie as her, but I absolutely went from buns and switched to the tucked under braid because of Shana Miller. What is your favorite training exercise to do with your gymnast? 
Or what did you love the most when you were a gymnast to do? Oh, air awareness for sure. We had this like bungee thing that was attached to the ceiling and it's like you're in a harness and I had come off of ankle surgery when I was like 13 and I just lived in that thing and the air awareness that I developed because of that and my backyard trampoline which I know gymnastics people are gonna be like you shouldn't have backyard trampolines but it was early 90s I did my air awareness got amazing it was really cool so that that's some of my most favorite memories of gymnastics is just knowing I can't believe it, the stuff that I was doing, knowing where I was in the air. So training air awareness is super fun. And I still like training that with athletes today. Besides gymnastics, what Olympic sport would you want to try? Bobsled. Why? I, I love going down slides. I mean, <laughs> I love water slides. I don't know. It's kind of similar. Um, <laughs> what would I want to try? I mean, Aerial skiing, speaking of air awareness. You'd be great at it. Uh, not anymore. I would have been in 1993. <laughs> uh, I did see oh, that you, uh, you did some break dancing in your lifetime. Did you have a B-girl name? Oh, my gosh. What was? Oh, Nikki Love. Like or it. Punky B. It, it kind of switched back and forth. I, there's a big Punky Brewster thing in my life, and <laughs> it tends to follow me a lot. So those two. Are, are you excited that break-ins in the Olympics? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's, they're amazing. They're absolutely, like, otherworldly when you, when you see it done at that, like, just crazy, like, the world championship level. It's so cool. And finally, do you have a favorite Olympic souvenir? Mm, I don't know that I have an Olympic souvenir. I'm trying to think, like, do I, I mean, no, no. So as a choreographer, I don't go, if that's what you're thinking. Oh, no, 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 no. Just, oh, okay. you know, uh, randomly, or even just from your gymnastics life, do you have a favorite souvenir from your travels? Hmm. Well, I have a whole lot of trophies that have become a village that my children play in now. They make a village out of my trophies. But it's actually really, really kind of fun to see. Yeah, I guess I have this. I don't know if this counts, but when I was 14 or 15, I had to stop for a little while. I had a, I couldn't lift my arm up. I had a shoulder thing going on. I had to stop gymnastics for like a whole season. I did track and pole vault instead, so I don't know how that's any better, but I did. And in that time, I realized how much I loved it. I, I was kind of getting burnt out anyway, and then I went back to it, and it was like having a second chance at life, like that feeling. And I did an interview, not a real interview, mind you. This was like my gym's newsletter interview, but they didn't. They were doing an interview with all the seniors, and I just read it recently, and I remember just gushing about how I had fallen in love with the sport again. And I'm just so happy that I have that like in written form to remember what that was like, that, that return to something that I thought I was kind of done with and the joy that it brought. So that's probably one of them. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicole. Follow Nicole and learn more about her services on Facebook and Insta. Her podcast is What Makes You Think. She's The podcast is also on Twitter, and she is one of the owners of Precision Choreography. We will have links to all of those in the show notes. Who knew Kim Zemeskel was going to be the star of our lightning round? I know. That was really surprising. Everybody loves Kim Zemeskel. <laughs> 
Well, and it's it's interesting to get two different people who are are of the same coming of age for the Olympics. You know, 1992 was it. So what a what an epic! I I, I after 84 and 88, which was Phoebe Mills, whom I loved, and that was just we'll find out in our history moment that wasn't a very good turned out that didn't turn out very well for her did it the u.s did not do well in seoul in gymnastics so and then we go to 1992 and it just kind of fell off of my radar in terms of sport but it's fun to hear what that competition was like through other people's eyes and just how interesting it was bangs and scrunchies man for the win (laughs) Finally, because gymnastics competitors often use KT tape, we are talking with athletic trainer Wayne Lamar. Wayne went to Beijing 2022 with the U.S. women's ice ice hockey team. Take a listen. Lightning round. What is your first memory of the Olympics? My first memory of the Olympics? It would be the Winter Olympics. I used to watch them constantly with my kids. I'm trying to remember which... Which year it would have been, though? It probably would have been somewhere in that 2010 range, I'm guessing, because my, my kids and I really love skiing and, um, and ice skating. So, uh, you know, in general, we pay closer attention to the Winter Olympics than we do the Summer Olympics. You didn't watch them growing up? Not very much as a kid growing up, no. No, what's really interesting about me as a, as a professional is that I don't spend a ton of time watching athletics because... So much of what I've done over my career has been working in athletic events. I mean, I understand the games and, and you know, I'm a Red Sox fan and a Patriots fan, so I'll watch those games. But I, I've never been a religious follower of any particular team in that sense, mostly because, I mean, I find myself sort of watching it as an athletic trainer. I'm, you know, almost as interested in you know injury mechanisms as I am in this final score kind of thing. So, yeah. And honestly, that and to a certain extent, I think that's helped me throughout my career because one of the pitfalls that I think a lot of our students make sometimes, and even athletic trainers, is that you become too much of a fan and you're not there to sort of be the healthcare provider. You, you know, you're not there as a, a fan or a coach. You're there as a, as a, a medical provider, and that that objectivity, that sort of distance, I think makes us better better providers of care. So, are there? times where oh and by the way this we say lightning round and it's not really fast um <laughs> are there times where you just don't know the final score or is oh it- absolutely okay yeah not not most of not most of the time it, that it, it's a it's a minority but there are certainly times yeah when i don't when i don't necessarily know the final score yeah okay so have you and as jill <laughs> said we get off topic so are you ever watching a sport and like seeing somebody's tape job and just just shake your head and be like oh that that's yes. just unacceptable Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and part of it is just because of, it's literally the aesthetic, you know, f- for athletes, the, the aesthetic actually for the athlete corresponds to effectiveness, right or wrong. And, and historically, basketball players have been the worst in my career that I've worked with, whether it's collegiate or high school ath- athletes and men and women equally. It has to look great for them, uh, you know, to sort of, you know, it, functionally, it may be the best taping technique that you could have applied that minimize their injury. But if it doesn't look good, they're going to cut it off as soon as they get out to the court. And then you're going to walk out and find that all your work was for naught. So, yeah. 
Wow. Speaking of looking, well, I, I don't think it's necessarily good look. What's up with all the KT tape? What does that do? That's interesting. Uh, KT tape, the, the difficulty with a lot of this KT tape and even the dry needling, for example, there are certain techniques uh, that research just hasn't caught up with yet. And there's a huge push in medicine in general, but in, in athletic training in particular in the last you know 10 years to move toward evidence-based practice. And there's also a risk in that because if you exclusively practice things that have huge amounts of evidence to support their efficacy, you're going to miss out on some really interesting outcomes. And KT tape is one of those examples. You know, there, there, there isn't a really strong evidential base for its effectiveness, but athletes swear by it. I myself have worn it and found it to be effective. And the idea behind KT tape is not that different than what I was talking about before. Sorry, Allison, with the rotator cuff. <laughs> where if I can apply a tape that's that simply provides just a little bit of direction, just a little bit of tension to lift and support those fascial layers, I'm actually going to have an impact on tissues below the surface in a way that I wouldn't have before. You know, if I were to, to right now where each of you are sitting down, if I were to just come behind you and simply grab your shirt just a little bit and tug behind your shoulders, you would automatically sit up a little bit taller. Just that slight amount of tension on your shirt would allow enough of a sort of a, a cue for your underlying muscles to sort of change position. That's what KT tape really does. It provides just that cue, just that slight enough tension to sort of change the way that we move. And it's and anecdotally, athletes love it. So that's why we that's why we do it. Makes me think. Also along the same lines, what's up with uh, all the, of the compression sleeves? Same thing. Same thing. It's just that tactile. It's having uh, one of my favorite physicians, Dr. Robert Johnson, who is an, an expert in ACL injury reconstruction at the University of Vermont, you know, literally one of the most sought after sports med docs in the world for that particular injury and, and leading researchers. He once told me that having a $15 knee sleeve on one of his patient's knees may be just as effective as a $1,000 knee brace. Because from his perspective, the most important thing was having the athlete's brain and knee be connected in that way. If I similarly walk up to either of you and just place both hands around your knees, immediately there's this connection neurologically that's awakened between the two. And in his mind, that may be enough to help to minimize injury because you're just more aware. Your brain is more aware of what's happening in that knee. The response time between muscles and brain is going to be that much faster. So that's sort of the theory behind a lot of these compression sleeves. Over and above, you know, somebody that has a huge swollen ankle, applying a compression sleeve obviously is going to help keep some of that fluid out of there. But from an injury prevention perspective and sort of performance perspective, it's really just neurological. So really, we're trying using some stuff to play mind games with ourselves. That's it. That's really it. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. How cold does an ice bath have to be? <laughs> well, it, it depends on how many players have been in there, <laughs> how much ice I can have access to. <laughs> you know? Although I, I am a fan of a hot tub, so oh. I'm sure like the, the similar like soupiness gets in with. Yeah, that, that's the challenging part of it. I, I, you know, the literature would say that it needs to be down in, in the order of that low 60 degrees for those Fahrenheit for these baths to be, you know, effective. 
we've done studies and not we me, myself personally but but sports medicine professionals have done studies where we'll actually insert needles that are not much different than this in terms of di diameter below the surface of the skin that are actually miniature thermometers thermistors they're called and you can insert those into somebody's knee joint for example or a muscle like the quadriceps muscle in the thigh and then place that person in a cold tub and measure how cold the tub needs to be to actually affect a change down in the muscle. It goes back to what I said before, the treatment has to reach the source. And the challenging part is that oftentimes, if you make it too cold, the body will, in response, want to send more blood to the area to avoid hypothermia. So you sort of end up with the opposite effect of what you were going for. So there is this kind of sweet spot that, that has been found in, in the literature. But a lot of the, of the effects of the cold tubs for the athletes, again, is anecdotal. You know, they find that they recover faster. Uh, we don't have a, it, it's really challenging to create a well-constructed study to really get at the object, uh, objectivity of, you know, does that work or, or doesn't it work? So, I mean, we continue to sort of struggle with it because for us, it's logistically a challenge, as I said. I mean, it's no joke. It's hard to find enough ice to keep these things full. And then secondarily, many times we've got to drain these things. And they, you know, I distinctly remember we won the, the Four Nations tournament in Finland and the team is on the bus and we're waiting for the cold tub to drain because, you know, we have to fold this inflatable thing up and everyone's like, let's go Wayne. Like, <laughs> and it's because I'm waiting for this thing to drain so we can go to the hotel to celebrate that we just won the Four Nations tournament. It's those kinds of silly things that not to mention the, the innumerable floods that we've created in locker rooms and other places because we've had to do this, but it's part of their performance regimen. And a huge part of that is supporting them and there's whatever makes them successful. So, but how does the ice bath not get to double as a cooler then? I mean, you've got it sitting there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And it hasn't yet in my tenure. Maybe we'll change that in Beijing. Oh, did I just give them an idea? <laughs> yeah, you just gave us, just gave us an idea. So. Do, do you find that some people say no cold ice bath, I want heat instead? Or is heat not the greatest? Very few, very few do. There, there are some that will do that. You know, we, we do have an ultrasound unit that uses sound waves to create sort of heat from, from the inside out that we find to be a little bit more effective. For that same reason, I think we try to convince the athletes away from just the superficial hot pack for the reason I told you before, that it's really not getting down to the surface. Certainly, it may feel great, but these athletes are really about, about outcomes. So if we can educate them on, I'd much rather have you heat this up. A good example would be somebody that comes in and says, you know, my back's really tight. Could I put a hot pack on there? Well, having somebody who's about to go play an Olympic level game lie still for 20 minutes with a hot pack resting on their back is not even remotely appropriate given what they're going, going to do on the ice. I need them to be up, warmed up, ready to go. So there may be more functional activities, more calisthenic types of stretches and other kinds of things that we can do to warm up that muscle tissue that are going to be way more effective than that passive modality of just putting a hot pack on somebody. So again, we try to move away from that. There are some athletic trainers that, you know, when they walk into a new athletic training facility, one of the first things they throw in the garbage is the hydrocolator, the, the hot pack machine, so to speak, because it's just not really as effective as people think it is. So last question, if you could be an Olympian in any other sport, in any sport other than hockey, and we're taking baseball off the table too, what would it be? Hmm, probably biathlon. <sighs> yeah. I think that that, 
and it's not just because we have the the training center here up in northern Maine uh, in Presque Isle, and and it's such a big deal up there. No, it's it's the the combination of that incredibly rigorous cardiovascular activity combined with just being able to center yourself and calm yourself to the extent that you've got to sh- hit this target. That just fascinates me. Like the, the dichotomy of just, you know, crazy and then down here, that's pretty amazing control. I mean, you know, the American public could benefit from that. Like think of all the road rage we'd, <laughs> we'd avoid, right? Being able to, to teach people to sort of get from here to here. You know, it certainly would work for coming down my students on the day of exams. Yeah, I'd love to teach them that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for my taking pleasure. time out and, and talking with us. Thank you, Wayne. You can follow Wayne on Twitter. He is at WR Lamar, and we will have a link to that in the show notes. So since we've talked to Wayne, I have actually used KT tape for the first time in my life. Oh. When I was going through physical therapy, and he taped up my ankle. And it was amazing. Really? Is it because that made you feel, it, it made it feel better or pulled it to where it was supposed to go? Or it, because, because I was walking funny because of my toe, my ankle was starting to hurt. And mm. he taped my ankle and it instantly was better. It was like magic. But I have to say, it was very precise how he put that. He didn't just slap that on. He cut it. He wound it. I mean, it was a work of art. I'll have to post the picture of this because it was beautiful. Huh. And then was it something you could replicate? Obviously not because he was a trained professional. No, I could not. But it went away. Once I had the support for a few days, the pain went away. And then as my toe was healing, then the ankle was okay. That is so interesting. Magic that stuff is. Hmm. Wayne knows what he's talking about. You should get a job like with one of those Olympic teams. (laughs) I think he already did. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Hey, let us know what your first memory of the games is. You can email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call or text us at 208-352-6348. That's 208-FLAME-IT. Our social handle is at flamealivepod. Be sure to join the Keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook And don't forget to get our weekly newsletter filled with other fun stories about this week's episodes. You can sign up at flamealivepod.com. We will be back next week with more interviews and news from the Olympics and Paralympics. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.